We are continuing a series today called Altars, and uh, if you were here last week, you might have seen this format, but uh, if you weren't, basically what we are trying to do is not only uh, share with you what the Word of God says, but also interweave uh, some testimonies about what God is doing. In other words, it's not just activity that we read about in the Bible, but it's also activity of God as we see it happening in our lives. And I don't know if you know this, uh, I don't know your experience with God or Christianity, uh, but we serve a God that is active. We serve a God that is alive and on time, and, and, and I think sometimes when we talk about God, we think that he's far out there and he's never involved and he's just kind of distant. But one of the things that we want to make sure we do to anybody that, anybody that comes to Elevation is that they have an experience with God that can radically change their existence if they would allow it. And so we are continuing, like I said, this series on called Altars. But I wanted to just real quick give you a, a recap, and then we're going to talk with Aliska and Bob. So, Bob, how are you? Good. Good. All right. Can you guys welcome Aliska and Bob? Yeah. Let me, let me just for a moment read the series verse, uh, verses so that you kind of have a, an idea of what we're doing. Listen to this in Joshua chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. It was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the 12 stones taken from the Jordan River. So there were 12 stones that he gathered from the Jordan River. And it says, then Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future, your children will ask. And I was captured by that phrase, your children will ask. Well, what will they ask? The Bible says, what do these stones mean? So they piled up these stones, and the kids would ask their parents, what do these stones mean exactly? And then Joshua says that he went on to explain to them that at the Jordan River, God parted the river so that the Israelites could pass by. In addition to that, he relates it back all the way back to when they were coming out of Egypt and the story of the Red Sea and how God had parted the Red Sea. And then he says this in verse 24. He did this so that all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful and so you might fear the Lord, listen to that, so that you might fear the Lord your God forever. See, see the point of these stones were to point us in a direction of a God that is active, a God that is faithful, a God that has done things in the past and will do things in the future. And so last week, we kind of teed off on this idea, that is, that we will thrive in the future when we remember the past faithfulness of God. See, we're going to thrive in the future. We're going to thrive in the present when we remember the past faithfulness of God. And so part of the reason I asked Aliska and Bob to come up here is uh, they have been walking with God for a really long time. Yes? Yes. Amen. And, uh, and, and I wanted to just hear from them a little bit. And so, Bob, uh, would you share with me a little bit about just how you came to faith? Like, what was that like? How did that happen? Well, Pastor, um, I grew up in the Baptist church, and we would go to church every Sunday. Uh-huh. Um, it uh, was more of a ritual and it was a one hour a week thing that uh, we got or I got done I didn't it didn't mean I mean it meant something to me and seeds were being planted in me and I actually did accept Christ as a small one 
probably eight, nine years old, but uh, it, you know, it kind of, you know, what stays, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. It was kind of <laughs> what happened in church, stayed in church for one hour a week. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I was, you know, just doing my Sunday school lessons and getting my check marks and, you know, everything. I just, I was very conscientious that there was a God and, you know, I wanted to do all these rules and regulations. But like I said, it wasn't a all week thing. But um, anyway, fast forward in my life at age 14, I started down a wrong pathway with starting with cigarettes one summer, driving my bicycle to the beach there in California and smoking a pack of cigarettes. And boy, I was proud of myself, you know, um, just starting to get into that peer pressure thing. So, um, you know, just went down that road, barely graduated from high school. Um, was just getting progressively worse with the, the drugs and alcohol. And then there was one day at the, a park in town, uh, one of my friends came up to me and he said, you know, Steve Miller's a Jesus freak now. And this was 1974, so that was the lingo. Um, <laughs> on the outside, I laughed, but on the inside, the Holy Spirit just went, bam! Mm. I mean, and it was like, just my eyes were opened. Wow. So that was like January or so of 74. And I would continue going to parties and doing this and that, but I just couldn't get God out of my mind, out of my, you know, out of my thoughts. So finally, I, I believe it was Easter Sunday. It was April 14th. I remember the day, 1974, went to a, a Pentecostal church, yeah. saw all kinds of things and like the, this is, uh, but I knew it was real. I did not go up for the altar call, but the next day in my parents' living room, I knew what to do from a child. Those seeds were there. Wow. So I accepted Christ into my heart in my living room of my parents. Wow, that's amazing. Way back when. Yeah, so that's crazy. Thank you. And that was in 1974, two years before I was born, Bob. Okay. <laughs> so, Eliska, would you share just a little bit about how you came to a relationship with Jesus? Yes. Um, well, it's interesting. Bob was raised Baptist, and I was raised Catholic. Okay. So... Um, my oldest sister uh, was invited to a Bible study. So back in the early 70s, that's what we called them, Bible studies. And um, at that time, she was introduced to, uh, in my family, we never heard the terms born again. Okay. But she was introduced to uh, being born again. So I was about 13 at the time, and um, she actually began to witness to our immediate family. Oh. And... Um, so probably um, it was a Friday night, and um, my dad um, always loved God, but he wasn't a church-going man. He actually was an altar boy in the Catholic Church. But anyway, just uh, fast forward, even though dad didn't attend church, um, the rest of us, the siblings, mom, we would go to Mass. 
But dad would be home reading the Bible. We would be leaving to go to mass, but my dad was sitting, I can see him now, sitting on the sofa and reading his Bible. So he always had a heart for God. Mm. And um, always uh, was interested in listening to Billy Graham. He would watch Billy Graham quite often. So that's leading up to how I came to know the Lord. Um, we all happened to, well, my dad was actually watching Billy Graham, and it was probably a Friday night that he was watching Billy Graham. And it's not like we as a family decided, oh, we're going to all meet in the living room and we're going to watch Billy Graham together. But I remember dad was watching, and then the rest of us made our way in. And I especially remember my two sisters uh, being in the living room and my mom. And um, I can't remember if my brother was there or not. But anyway, um, we all listened to Billy Graham pretty intent. And um, after Billy Graham presented the gospel, um, and he, he asked people if they wanted to accept Jesus in their heart, like Bob, I was in our living room at the house, and I turned to my two sisters, um, and especially my one uh, my oldest sister, well, actually, they're older than me. But anyway, I turned to one of them, and I said, um, I said, I want to accept Jesus into my heart. And um, mm. I knew I needed the Lord. I was only 13. Mm. But um, that is definitely an age where you begin to question, and, and, and at least for me, I just knew I needed more than what I had, even though I had a heart for God, too, because I grew up in the Catholic Church. Yeah. Um, I can remember, you know, just desiring and having, actually, a re relationship with the Lord, but not on the personal level yeah. that I experienced. So right. to end my story, when I told my sisters that I wanted to accept the Lord, they said, let's go to the bathroom of all places in our, in our little home, <laughs> in our little bathroom. And then we, we skirted out. We left the rest of the family. We're in the bathroom. They led me into a prayer. And I remember I said that prayer, and I had never said that kind of prayer before. Wow. And I accepted the Lord. And I just remember, and, and you might be sitting out there thinking, gee whiz, you were only 13. What possibly could you have been carrying? Well, I won't go into that now. Mm. But after I said that prayer, I'm going to end here. I felt so free. Wow. I felt so free at wow. age 13. Wow. And I'll just end it there, yeah, Pastor that's really Daniel. That's it so was good. exciting. That's so good. Well, you know, one of the things I've noticed from last week's interview to this week's interview is the mention of Billy Graham. Did you notice that? Like, if you were here last week, they, uh, Steve talked about that as well, that he had grew up, grown up in, um, uh, where is it? Wheaton. Wheaton. Yes, thank you. And, uh, and I just think that's really interesting. Uh, think about a man who was so faithful to God over his years and how many people were impacted by his ministry. Uh, and, you know, Aliska's family obviously was one of those families. And so that's, that's pretty amazing to think about. And what year was that? That was early 70s. Early 70s. Early 70s. Okay. Yes. All right. Around the same time frame as Bob. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good. And uh, so, well, part of the reason I wanted to bring you guys here is not just to tell your story about how you met Christ, but, but also, uh, you know, fast forwarding a little bit. So you have this relationship with Jesus, you've entered into this relationship with God, and, and then I'm guessing that 
eventually you started to see God show up in just faithful ways in your life. Um, and so would you just for a moment talk about where specifically maybe that you've seen God uh, do things in the past that are markers for you, you know, uh, of just his faithfulness? Can I have 15 minutes? No, you, you get two. <laughs> you know, God has been, oh, just so many things. Um, to continue my story here a little bit and how God just was miraculous in so many ways. I did accept Christ on that day when I was 19, but I had the, the drug, alcohol, gambling thing going, and uh, I would be good for two months, slip back, two days, slip back, yeah. two hours, slip back. My heart was there, but I just couldn't uh, execute, couldn't stay with it. Mm. Um, this is the way it was. So, make a long story short here, when I was 21, living in California, grew up there, mom and dad moved to Puerto Rico. I stayed back in California. And by the time I was 23, I was basically a wino on the streets of LA. I was getting welfare from the state of California and uh, was not in a good place. You know how the Bible says you can be seven times worse once you know the truth? And that's kind of what was happening with me. My heart was getting harder, wow. harder back, you know, it was, and it was, I knew what to do, but it was, it was harder to keep getting back there. So finally at age 25, mom and dad moved to Louisiana where I met this lovely lady years later, where she was born and raised, and uh, ended up floundering there for a little bit, but did make it to Teen Challenge when I was 28 years old, and uh, went through that program. And, you know, I have been sober for going on 39 years now. Wow, praise God. So to answer your question real quickly, how have I seen God? Um, he's saved me so many times, uh, just wow. taking barbiturates, drinking, driving. I mean, I could go on and on. Uh, just, and he chose to keep me here. Yeah. You know, I don't understand why sometimes, but I'm grateful because some other people didn't make it that I knew. Uh, but he just loved me through it. One real quick story, Pastor, one night in the middle of all this, drunker than a skunk, had a dream. The light was so bright, brighter than that, I couldn't look at it in the dream. And the Lord put his hands out in the midst of my debauchery, and he said, I love you. And wow. that was a dream. Wow. And it just... Such a loving God, so good. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. The, it, for some of you that may not know, Teen Challenge is an organization that helps people. Uh, it originally started specifically for teens, and it now has reached out to older people as well, helping people with drug and alcohol addictions and different things, teaching them the gospel, helping them get back on their feet and things like that. And Bob is a testimony of their ministry 
Um, and so praise God for that. And what an amazing story. Now, I need to speed up a little bit, Aliska, so I'm not going to ask you the question I was going to ask you. What I'm going to ask you is if, if, if you were to say something to the people sitting in this audience or maybe that are tuning in online, uh, and Bob, I may even ask you the same question. Um, if, if, if you found that yourself in a situation where you were struggling, where, where you were wondering if God was going to be faithful, what might you say to them uh, to encourage their faith? Well, Pastor Daniel, um, I would say, uh, just based on my own um, experiences, and um, well, I, I would say sometimes we have to just believe by faith. Mm. I, I'm speaking this for me, yeah. but hopefully this might help someone. But um, it's all a faith walk, and I find myself now saying, you know, how we sometimes just say, um, "Well, I feel." Well, I've been getting checked, and I've actually been saying, and people have been laughing and saying, that's good. I'll say, you know what? We're, we're really not supposed to walk by feelings. We're walking by faith. Mm, and um, we're to take God at his word, um, you know, choose to believe. Uh, there are so many emotions, so many different things that we all go through as humans. Yes. Um, and um, I, I love this word. I don't think it's a new word, but how we... Man, if I would have known this word when I was 13, it would have helped me through a lot of heartache. <laughs> I didn't realize that I could choose almost everything. I could choose to be happy. I could choose to have faith. I could choose to believe. Just on and on and on. Because we don't walk by feelings. We walk by faith. Really and um, I, I want to say this was said last week, but it's, but it's really true that... Um, we shouldn't struggle alone. We're not meant to struggle alone. We're, we're fortunate enough. Uh, I'm not saying that we will never struggle alone. Yeah, right. But we're, we're still fortunate enough that we can, um, you know, come to a church like Elevation. Um, it doesn't take too long for any of us to figure out that people are here for us. And mm. hopefully we are here for people. So I'm going to end with this. Get people to pray for you. Uh, get people to pray with you, yes. and um, really good. You, you take it a day at a time, a minute at a time. You do what you have to do, and you just you walk by faith. That's good. You don't Thank walk you. by your feelings. And that's, that's good. I'm, I'm saying that to me a yeah. hundred times. No, that's really good, <laughs> because so often in our lives, we see what we're dealing with. We have emotions about that thing, and then we make decisions, and we forget that we're people of faith, not just people of emotion. Uh, and so that's a great, great reminder. Bob, you have anything last to add to that? Yeah, a couple things. Um, I know when I was in Teen Challenge at 28, I, I remember telling some people, if I'm not married by the time I'm 30, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm done. You know, that's it. It's over. So guess what? I got married to Aliska, first marriage when I was 39. So my message to you is, you know, God's timing is usually not our timing. And I can see in hindsight how I needed to wait till I was 39 because I had a lot to work out in me. Wow. And God knew that. So be patient with God's timing. And also along the same kind of lines that Aliska was talking about being alone, the scriptures just really hit me the last couple months. It's found in Proverbs 18.1. It says, a man who isolates himself 
seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. So don't try to do it alone. We, wow. we can't do it alone. That's really good. Wow. Well, Bob and Leska, thank you so much for sharing. Will you give them a hand? Amen. Hopefully you're gaining something from these stories. But just for a moment, uh, I wanted to share a few thoughts, a few things that, that I think will be helpful to you. And so let me pray for us as we jump in here. God, I ask in Jesus' name that as we read your word, that you would impart all wisdom, all power, all revelation that we need to receive today. Father, we need to hear from you. Father, we need to hear your voice. And so, Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, we're open to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I entitled this message, Another Pile of Rocks. Last week, we talked about the pile of rocks that I shared from Joshua and him piling up these 12 stones. But I don't know if you know this, but in the Bible, this was a regular thing. Whether it was a pile of rocks or whether it was a big stone, this was kind of what they did to mark something. That it was a way of marking something. I don't know if you noticed in Bob and Aliska's story, there were these markers, you know? There were these dates. There were these moments. There was these uh, dreams even that God showed up and he did something and they became a marker or what you might call as like an altar of remembrance. And you see that happening in the Bible, too. You see that happening with Abraham. You see that happening with Isaac and Jacob and Samuel. And even with this guy that I want to deal with today, and that's this guy named Jacob. See, Jacob had an encounter with God that was pretty amazing, pretty miraculous, you know? It's that kind of stuff that you're just like, whoa. You know what I mean? And so look at this. I want to, I want to share something with you about another pile of rocks in, in Genesis chapter 28, 10 through 12, listen to this. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled towards Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and he lay down to sleep. I guess they didn't have the my pillow, did they? You know, he had a stone. And I, I'm not sure why you go looking for a stone to lay your head on, but that was, maybe that was what Jacob did. Maybe he was thick-headed thick or something. I don't know. Did you guys get that? It's good. Just making sure you're with me. In verse 12, as he slept, look at this, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven, and he saw angels of God going up and down the stairway. This is in the Bible. Led Zeppelin stole this. They stole this from the Bible. I don't know if you know that, but it's true. And so he receives a vision from God. Can you imagine this vision, this dream that he's receiving? It's like, oh, he's seen angels come up and down. And, and it was like Bob was saying, you know, he had this moment with bright light. And God said, I love you. And, and it was just powerful. And so he's having this experience. Now, after receiving this vision, we fast forward a little bit into verse 18, same chapter. He says, so Jacob rose early in the morning. Note that he rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up as a pillar. So he takes this stone and he puts it up in a maybe a vertical fashion. And then the Bible says that he pours oil on top of the stone. You get the picture? So he takes the oil and he's pouring it on 
top of this stone. It says in verse 19, he called the name of that place, listen, Bethel, which means house of God. However, previously, the name of the city was Lutz. See, Jacob had an experience with God and his reaction was to put up a stone and pour oil on it. Get this. Listen to this in Genesis 31, 13 as we continue the story. Jacob has another encounter with God in verse 13. I am the God of Bethel. I am the God of Bethel where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now rise, leave this land and return to the land of your birth. And so in other words, that God saw what he did. God saw that he put up a pillar put up a pillar of stone, poured oil on it, and, he, and, and spoke out a name for that place that was opposite of the name that was. And he said, Bethel. And God says, I'm the God of Bethel. And now get up and go and do what I've told you to do. Go and live out the covenant promise that I've given to you through your heritage, through your earlier father, Abraham. You get it. And so God is kind of connecting the dots for Jacob. And then watch this in Genesis 35, 14 through 15. Jacob sets up a pillar in the place where he had spoken to him, a pillar of stone, and he poured out a drink offering on it. And he also poured oil on it. So this time he pours out a drink offering, you know, and then he pours some oil on this stone. So it says that, so Jacob named the place where God had spoken to him, Bethel, house of God. So, so what you see is these encounters that Jacob is having, and Jacob's response is to build another pile of rocks, to put oil on them, and to anoint them, and to rename the place that was. Here's just a few thoughts I want to draw out of this passage. See, God communicates to us in dreams and visions. I don't know if you know that. I don't even know if you believe that. But the Bible is very clear that that is something that God does. God is communicating to us in dreams and visions. Now, I'm not saying if you had bad pizza the night before and you all of a sudden have some dream that all of a sudden it's supposed to come to pass. I'm not saying that. I'm just simply saying that God is actively communicating to us just like he did for Bob. There are these moments. There are these altars of remembrance that God speaks. And we're supposed to listen and we're supposed to take what he says and do something with it. See, see other, another thing that you notice here is that Jacob understood the importance of putting God first. Notice that in verse 18 of chapter 28, he says, the Bible says that so Jacob rose early in the morning. So as he rose from this dream, as he rose from the vision, his thought wasn't first, hey, let me get some breakfast. His thought wasn't, hey, let me check the computer. His thought wasn't, hey, let me check my Twitter. His thought was he rose early in the morning and the first thing he does is connect with the God that connected with him. See, it's so important that we understand this principle in every area of our life that God will not ever, listen to me, he will not ever compete for his glory. He won't. And so often in our lives we put other things before God. And he's not interested in that. He's interested in first. He's interested in first in our relationships. He's interested in first in our work. He's interested in first, come on, in our money. 
He's interested in first in everything that is who we are. He's interested in first in your family. He's interested in first everywhere else. You get it. It's first. It's first. What you're, Pastor, are you saying that it's first? Yes. You're getting it. It's first. And I had a check this week, and I'll just give this to you. I, I won't even say much about it, but I was thinking about how the government just gave people a bunch of money. And it made me think about how many people are not going to give God first because of that. Like they're not going to give first. They're just going to take the money, and they're going to go spend it. And they don't even think about God. I'll leave that alone. The second, the third thing, the stones became sacred by naming and anointing. Did you see that? So it was just a stone. It was just a, just a stone. But something happened that turned that stone into something sacred. And the power of turning that thing into something sacred was in whose hands? Jacob's. Notice that. God didn't come down and say, oh, this stone is going to be sacred. Jacob did that. We'll get to that in a second. And then listen to this. The stones were a reminder of God's covenantal promises. It was a reminder because you notice he reaches back to Abraham and he says, hey, go to the land that I told you. Go to the place that I told you. So in other words, God was taking Jacob where he was and saying, hey, you need to reach back into the past and see where you came from. And that's what I love about hearing from Bob and Aliska. It's a way of reaching back into the past so that we know where we came from. We know that we serve a God that has been moving and is active and alive and he's been doing this for thousands of years. And so when you're worried about today, you can reach back into a just an absolute wonderful story full of God's faithfulness. See, that's what altars is all about, is us remembering how faithful God has been. And so I have two last things and I'm going to be done. Number one is that God has given his people, listen to this, God has given his people the power to name, anoint, and ascribe value. Get this. I'm not sure you get that. God has given you his people the power to name, anoint, and ascribe value. I love that. If you, if you know the story of Genesis, I love how God comes to Adam and says, Adam, what do you want to call all of these animals? And Adam starts to name them, doesn't he? He's like, we'll call them this and we'll call them that. And isn't that interesting? That God brought Adam into the creative process. That God brought Adam into the creation of things. I love that story because of that. But things that we forget, here it is. And this is why I want you to remember. This is why I want you to, 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 to allow altars to bring you back. Is that you are a part of something that's bigger than yourself. And that there are power in your words. I love that song, Champion. Because in that song it talks about you have authority. You may have been singing that and you're like, I have no idea what this means. I have no idea what I'm singing right now. I have authority. Authority for what? You have authority to name, anoint, and ascribe value in this world. And you may think, well, what does that mean? My friends, it's significant, isn't it? If you really drill down to that power and that authority, that is a significant idea, especially when you put it in your life, especially when you put it in other people's lives, especially when you're building altars of remembrance all over this world so that you could give God glory. It matters what you say. It matters what you name things. It matters what you anoint. It matters what you ascribe value to, doesn't it? Yeah. 
And so that's the thing that we have to see. The other day, it was, I guess, yeah, it was two weeks ago, I was having some time of prayer with God, and it was like a healing prayer time, and I was, I had, there were some other people there, and, and it was amazing. I heard the Lord say to me, and it was so powerful, He didn't call me by my name. Like my name that my mom gave me. I don't know if you know this, but it's Daniel. That's my name. Now, if you know the Hebrew name, it means God is my judge. That's what I get to live with. But I heard God say to me, David. That's not my name. But I heard God say that name over me. He called me David. And I was trying to figure out why. I don't see myself as a poet. I don't see myself as a warrior king. What, what is it? See, David's name means beloved. And it was in that moment that God was trying to communicate to me something. That I would know that I was beloved. Because I think in my life, one of the challenges I've faced, and perhaps you can relate to this, is at times feeling insignificant. And God says to me, beloved. There's power in the name. There's power in the naming. There are people in your life right now that you need to ascribe a new name to. Now, they're not going to go out and change their name legally with the government. They don't need to do that. But some people need to hear a new name. Some people need you to lay hands on them and anoint them with a blessing that they've never received, with a father's blessing, with a mother's blessing. Because we have lots of people who are orphaned in this house. We have lots of people that are orphaned in this city. And they need somebody to lay hands on them and give them a blessing, an anointing. They need to ascribe. Wouldn't it be good if somebody just came to you today and ascribed value to you? Ascribe value to some area of your life that's been broken by this world? Wouldn't that be good? Here's my point. It is not my job to do that only. It is the church's job to do it. You have the authority by God to do these things. This world would be different if churches and pastors and people who follow God would grab hold of the authority that God has given them. And you would walk out into this world and begin to make some name changes. You begin to ascribe some value and anoint some people with the very heart of God. See, we got to create some altars of remembrance. we got to remember all that God has done. They called you this. But I call you this. You grew up and this is what was said over your life. No more. This is what's going to be said over your life today. See, that's what I'm getting at, guys. We have a part to play in ushering in the kingdom of God, people. That's what we have. Oh, it's so good if we get hold of this. Man, there are lives that are going to be changed because of it. But here's the problem. Here's the warning. Come on. i got to give you a warning. Because see, you hear it and you get excited and you get frothy mouthed and you're like, I'm going to go do it. But here's the thing. Listen to this. Forgetting leads to forsaking. See, when we forget, we will forsake. That's why Jacob named that place different. He said, I want to make sure that this is the house of God. I want to make sure that when people show up here, they know that God met me. And when you look at that stone with that oil on it, I need you to know that there is a God that is active and he's moving. And I met him right here. 
But listen, and I want to read something to you, and it should be very sobering. But when we forget the naming, when we forget the anointing, when we forget the ascribed value, watch this. Fast forward into a place in the Bible that you might call the minor prophets. See, the minor prophets would begin to speak. They would speak to Israel about some things. And usually it was like, y'all are screwing up. Listen to what Hosea says in Hosea 4, 15, and I'll be done. Though you, Israel, come on, are a prostitute, may Judah not be guilty of such things. So Hosea is saying, Israel, which is the northern kingdom, has become like prostitutes. What he means by that is they have worshipped idols and that they are going beyond what God ultimately has for them and they're doing things they shouldn't do. And he's asking that maybe Judah would be faithful. You know, that Judah would be faithful. Then he says, do not join the false worship of Gilgal or, look at this, Beth-Avon. Beth-Avon. You're like, what does that mean? See, that word means house of wickedness. So what's happened is that the prophet is taking the name Bethel. So you have Bethel, El being God. He's taking the name Bethel and changing it to house of wickedness. So what used to be called Bethel is now called Beth-Avon. So the name is shifting. Do you see it? And he says, do not take O's there in the Lord's name. The name changes. The prophet is saying, you used to be a house of God and you no longer are. You have forsaken the name. You have forgotten, come on, you have forgotten what was done and now you have forsaken the blessings that God has brought into your life. And then Amos says this, listen, don't worship at the pagan altars at where? Bethel. Wait, I thought Bethel was a house of God. Why in the world are the prophets calling it a pagan altar? Don't go to the shrines at Gilgal or Bathsheba. So apparently there's lots of these things going on in Israel. He says, for the people of Gilgal will be dragged off into exile and the people of Bethel will be reduced to nothing. And he says, come back to the Lord and live. Come back to the Lord and live. Let me say this to anybody today that have forsaken their first love. Let me say this to anybody that have moved from the house of God to the house of wickedness. The prophet of God is saying to you, come back. Come back and live. God wants you to live. God doesn't want you to experience death anymore. God wants you to receive the name that you've been called. He wants you to walk in the anointing that you've been given. He wants you to walk all over this world ascribing value to the things that God has called you to ascribe value to. Whew. I, God, I pray in Jesus' name that this is penetrating someone's heart today. May we never forget what he's done and forsake the things that God has called us. Because he goes on to say this, otherwise he will roar through Israel like a fire devouring you completely. Your gods, look at this, look at this. Your gods in Bethel won't be able to quench the flames. In other words, the things that you're reaching for right now are not going to be able to help you. And I know that that's a sobering statement. 
because most of us don't like to read the Minor Prophets because they kind of mix it up a little. But the thing I love about the Minor Prophets is they remind us of something that's true. Whether we want to see it or not, whether we even like to meditate, it, meditate on it or not, and that is this, that God, that God is the one that we are called to worship and anything else that we're worshiping, anything else that's taken the throne, whether that's a person, whether that's a spouse, whether that's a girlfriend, whether that's a fiance, whether that's a job, whether that's, I don't care what it is. Anything that is taking the place of God is out of bounds. And what will happen is the house of God will eventually be turned into a house of wickedness because we set up altars there that aren't altars of remembrance. They're altars, I guess, of self. They're altars of what makes us feel good. They're altars of, of the things we want, our desires. And those things become our altars. And isn't it true if those things become our altars, then, then I guess they become the things we worship. So here's my question as we end. Is there a point or a place in your life recently where maybe you've started to forget? Like you've, you, you just have forgotten how faithful God's been. Maybe you've gotten tired or you've gotten upset. Maybe you felt like God didn't come through for something. For anybody that's online, I, I want to say that to you. Have you forgotten God's faithfulness? Because here's the reality, and this is why we're doing this series, is that God has always been faithful. He can do no other. It is not in his character or nature to be unfaithful. It is an impossibility. And so when God says something, he does it. When God promises something, he brings it to pass. He may not always bring it at our timing, but he's always gonna bring his promises to pass. And so have you forgotten today God, I want to pray right now for anybody that's forgotten. I ask in Jesus' name, Father, that you would remind them right now of how faithful you've been. Father, would you just restore back to them anything that's been stolen? Father, would you just move in power there? Remind them right now. Bring memories. Bring memories back. Come on. Just begin to... God, I ask right now that you would, that you would remind them again. Bring some memories back so that wherever there's been a place where they've forgotten, God, would you restore that in Jesus' name? Would you restore that? Father, I pray right now for anybody that, that in the process of forgetting has forsaken. Perhaps they've forsaken their first love. Perhaps they've forgotten all that you've done in their life. They've just, they've just squandered it. I want to pray for you today. God, I ask in Jesus' name for any prodigal that's coming home today, for any son or daughter of the Most High God who used to dwell in the house of God, who has forsaken the things of God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would restore back to them. Sons and daughters are coming home today. Sons and daughters are coming home today. That the things that were forsaken are now being revisited. That you'll never live in, in, in the house.
house of wickedness again. You're coming back to Bethel, the house of God. And God is right here, right now. He's receiving you back into his house. Just, just begin to move towards his loving arms. He loves you. He's a loving father. Perhaps you've never known this heavenly father that I'm talking about. Perhaps you've never had that kind of relationship that Jacob had. Well, see, the Bible says that you can. The Bible says that because of what Jesus has done, because that Jesus was born into this world, he grew into a man, he died a brutal death on a cross. And three days later, beat death. The Bible says now that you can have that relationship with God. And so I just want to pray for you. If you're here today and you would say that I don't have that relationship with Jesus, I've never prayed that prayer. I've never taken that step of faith to not have a religious experience, but to have a relational experience with the God that created the universe that loves you so much. I'd love to be able to pray for you. And so church, let's all begin to just pray. I'd like to have everybody pray with me when I, when I ask So if you're here today and you would like to take a step of faith and begin to walk with Jesus, enter into that relationship, would you, would you just simply say this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, I need a Savior. I can't save myself. Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you be Lord of my life? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Change me from the inside out, God. I choose this day to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we celebrate those that are making decisions today? It's so good.